my regret in my 20s is I didn't create enough historical artifacts. You know, write stuff down, write down your ideas, write down your plans, that that becomes then data by stock or predict on stock or write it down. We falsely remember the past if you don't write it down. So write it down and for one thing, you'll see how stupid you used to be. What is up, you sexy bastards? It's your boy Jupiter, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to Bing Gordon. He was the co-founder of Electronic Arts, the super popular game company y'all are familiar with. Now, in his 20s, Bing did a lot of interesting things. He wrote poetry in college, tried acting for a year, and even did commercial fishing. Then he worked at EA for over 26 years, contributed to the marketing design of so many best-selling games as The Sims and John Madden Football. Today, he is a super successful investor, company advisor, and just got a lot of great wisdom. If you've ever wanted to learn about how to live an unconventional life and make the best of your 20s plus beyond, you're going to love this episode. Here's three gigantic things you're going to take away. Number one, why retiring young is very boring. Two, expensive mistakes people make in their 20s. And three, a simple but effective way to evaluate your executive team. What is it? Enjoy those three things plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we jump on this episode, go check out appsumo.com slash Noah. We have got the best daily deals on software. So if you're looking to start or grow your online business, you're going to check out appsumo.com slash Noah. It's kind of like a Groupon for geeks or Groupon for software. Don't spend so much money so you can enjoy more of your money. Also, special pre-show shout out to listener. I value the unique angle. That's a weird name. Brilliant. I really like this podcast. Very interesting. High profile guest. And Noah Kagan asks poignant. What a great word. Questions that lead to a deep understanding of the topics presented. I highly recommend it to everyone interested in learning, proven strategies, starting to grow a business, improve productivity, and live a happier life. Damn, I love you and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. If you want to shout out in a future episode, leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. I check every single one of them. So for the people that aren't as familiar with you, how did you make your, your fortune or how did you create your wealth? I was a co-founder of Electronic Arts, the video game company. When I was in, um, in college... I played sports and hitchhiked and avoided class as much as possible. And I thought I was going to be a math major. And then I got a zero on one thesis, I think because I did a decision science project on how to choose a date for the prom. And I did something that I think offended the team teachers. And I think it was because they were closet gay and they thought I was making fun of them, which never occurred to me. Um, So I switched and I became an English major. And in that, I started writing poetry. So one of the poems I wrote was about a magic piece of glass through which you, you could travel through time and space. And uh, that got me interested in this concept of virtual worlding right after the original Westworld movie came out. And I worked at Disneyland a summer after high school. So the idea of Disneyland turning into a virtual world that you could travel through was really appealing to me. And uh, I met another kid in graduate school who uh, wanted to do something similar, and he made a little money and started Electronic Arts. So I joined there as one of the beginners. And then um, kind of along the way, I learned to become kind of a mentor because I never had one and started continuing education and had the first ever endowed chair in video game design and did some university stuff. And then... Um, Kleiner Perkins was a founding investor in Electronic Arts in 1982, and uh, as was Sequoia. And I really liked um, the culture that I perceived of the Kleiner brand, and I started getting involved in Kleiner for about my last 10 years at EA, and started investing in their side funds, and then went to Kleiner in 08. 
because uh, I kind of thought that, you know, electronic arts, for whatever reason, got to the point where young people could no longer career progress rapidly, and that bummed me out. So I thought in, in venture, you've got um, infinite motivated people, young people showing up, you know, so I started doing that. So instead of managing game teams that were starting to run in a bigger company as a seniority system, which bugs the crap out of me, you know, so I got into venture. So, you know, Electronic Arts went from, uh, I think I, at the beginning of the company, I had one and a half percent of the company, which, you know, if I would have held on to it forever, it would have been pretty valuable. But uh, Electronic Arts went public seven years later at an $80 million valuation. When we founded the company, we raised $2 million on a $3 million pre. And then we went public in 89 with $72 million in revenue, 16 quarters of profitability, and went public at a $80 million valuation. And a month later, the stock fell by a third. So, you know, nobody believed in that, in that video game stuff in the beginning. I stayed there for 26 years. And since then, I've gotten involved in kind of in more companies, kind of investor, advisor. Wow. So helping found Electronic Arts, was your career, uh, for everything you did, was it worth it? Would you change anything? Do you have any specific regrets that you do differently? I had a couple of, um, of key decision points. The hardest thing is I got out of, I got out of college and uh, I went and acted in New York for a year. And then I commercial fished. And I was kind of living on zero money. And uh, I ran into a couple of hockey buddies who were going to business school. So I did that. So I'd say my 20s, it was a struggle. My advice to kids in their 20s now is do interesting stuff. And uh, my regret in my 20s is I didn't create enough historical artifacts. You know, write stuff down. Write down your ideas. Write down your plans. That that becomes then data. I even think of, uh, of make predictions. So, you know, buy stock or predict on stock or write it down. We falsely remember the past if you don't write it down. So write it down. And for one thing, you'll see how stupid you used to be. You can also just start measuring it. You're getting better. And, uh, and then what areas are you getting better? So I'd say write it down. And then the other regret for me early on is, you know, like many founders, I had a chip on my shoulder. And I really didn't like authority figures. I played a bunch of sports and uh, I had shitty coaches. And boy, there's nothing more irritating as an athlete to know you're losing games because of your coach. I was not very good at uh, recruiting mentors. I learned about how to do it later, but it just never occurred to me. And partly because uh, I had a relationship with my father that was not very open and clean. You know, I bridled under authority. So I think, you know, my advice to people in their 20s is write stuff down, recruit a mentor, and build a peer network. You know, you can do it through Y Combinator. You can do it by moving to a geography. You can do it in a company. But one of your jobs in your 20s is find something like five to 10 people who will share all their learning with you. Go over to their companies and have lunch. You learn a lot from the physical presence of an office. Um, hear what they're learning. Read their OKRs, their objectives, look at the share annual reviews, you know, everything up to and maybe even including company NDA secrets. And my sense is you pick the right group by the time you're 35, you and they will rule the world. So that's what you can do in your in your twenties. So I didn't do I didn't do any of them. 
<laughs> Nobody told me what to do. I had uh, I learned from peers and I learned from books and I learned from watching. The only great mentorship, I, I worked in advertising. When I got out of business school, I thought I was going to start a high-tech ad agency. And then four years later, jumped in with EA and helped name the company. And this ad agency, the GM of it, named Alan Mooney, who died young in a hospital accident. His advice was how to create strategy docs for creative people, for copywriters. He said, never write down an analytical document. Analytical document puts their creativity to sleep. He said, you can expose them to the raw material. It's kind of what, what IDEO does as well with extreme customers. He said the best he ever did when he was a, an account executive on Schweppes, the bitter lemon. He said, I wrote a short story about a British couple living in New York and an afternoon they had kind of having a tea with, uh, with soft drinks in the dappled fall in the backyard of a New York brownstone. And he said, instead of saying, you know, be British in such, such a way, he just gave him the short story. And uh, so that, that struck with me. So I learned really early on with the most creative people and the year EA went public, the creative peers I worked with had found in an ad agency. EA was their first client. And the same year EA went public, Goodby Silverstein got picked as the advertising age, agency of the year in the U.S. So we kind of parallel success. And I learned to um, work with the creative people, figure out what their strategy was you know, what they were going to actually build. And then after they knew what they were going to build, then I would write the strategy document that the um, the suits thought was the beginning of the process. And for me, it was the end of the process. It sounds like when you were young, there's things you would know, like have a mentor. The have a mentor thing, it's all high potential kids in their 20s waste a year. You waste it on a bad significant other, a bad geographical move, a bad job. You know, life is like chess. I'm not a chess player. I did watch Queen's Gambit. But, you know, in chess, you waste one move against a good player, you lose. So every move has got to have both offense and defense. And uh, in your 20s, waste a year. It's survivable, but it's expensive. What I learned in following sports is uh, most of the pro players I met, I'm a hockey fan, but the pro players I met, knew somebody with it when they were 14 years old who was better than them. And the 14-year-old either got injured, got into alcohol, kind of went sideways one way or another. So it was the, the tenacity and the constant, the steady improvement that won the day. What quotes do you live by? David Ogilvy is my business hero. I worked in his ad agency. And he has one which is something like there's nothing more demotivating than a boss who tolerates second-rate work. He also says um, his goal was to do first-class business and that in a first-class way. And then um, he had another one, which is, it's only creative if it sells. And then he had another one about, about research. And he, this is longer, but he said, I once used the word ineffable in ad copy, and then I found out from research that uh, the readers didn't know what it meant. And then I realized I didn't know what it meant. Either. <laughs> so, you know, always, always do your research. It's interesting because your career, I think when we think of someone who's a poet or someone who's anti-authority or not doing well in school, 
those turn out to have really interesting, not all the time, but seems to have interesting careers. I, I don't know how you, what's the elements you have to foster as a parent or that you foster in your, in your youth? Paying attention is important. I kind of think in the youth, it's figure out what you're passionate about and try to be good at it. That's kind of the, the wisdom of gifted kid education is go deep in something. Mm. And I think that's the job of a parent with a kid is get them to go deep in something. And as long as it's legal, not physically <laughs> harmful, because what you learn is at the deepest level, the meta lessons are all the same. You know, it's about being present. It's about learning. Even uh, uh, rhetoric and data turn out to be important kind of at the deepest level of almost anything. Uh, anybody who's played sports knows that there's always somebody bigger, faster, stronger, richer, better looking. You just got to keep trying, you know, and uh, um, put in the effort um, so that have a passion and go deep. And then my experience is that you can make money in almost anything that you're passionate about and the opportunities arise. Uh, my father worked there at electric utility and he was a coal buyer for the Detroit Edison company. And he didn't like it much. You know, it was just a career. He was a first generation immigrant from Scotland and he kind of needed a job coming out of World War II. And um, in the 60s, the stock market took off and he decided to become a stockbroker because he wanted to make more money. And he wasn't that passionate about it either. It just looked richer. And um, about four years later, the stock market crashed. He died penniless. He didn't get rich off the stock market. He had a guy named Jim Weems who worked for him. And I saw Weems beforehand as my father's leaving. He goes, I love this business. I love these big machines. I love these, you know, moving stuff around. I love the way electricity is created. And his favorite memories were pictures of himself standing inside one of these shovels that are like 12 feet high, these big machines ripping coal out of the ground. And uh, in the 70s, coal like quadrupled in price in a couple of months during a early oil crisis. And because he loved it, he was paying attention. In the games business, some people came in because it looked hot. The people who didn't play games at night all got crushed. And um, I knew people in the music business and the movie business. In the music business, if you aren't listening to music every night, in the movie business, if you aren't watching movies every day, you get left behind. So the hobbyists can crush the careerists. And then that being said, you know, there's um, there's some areas that um, are richer than others. Uh, but I've learned that a rising tide rarely lifts all boats. You still have to be good when the tide is rising. But then some of the some of the choice I made early on, I came to Northern California almost by accident. But my father was living there. But it turned out Silicon Valley came, and I got caught up in in Northern California. I loved kind of the Grateful Dead hippie era because coming up in the Midwest, I was in love with the Beach Boys. But Northern California was more win win, and Southern California was more more win lose. And somebody once told me who was from the movie business, I'm not enough good enough liar to live in L.A. One choice was, you know, after business school, it's live in Northern California and then stay in, in uh, Northern California. The technology in general fascinated me. And uh, when I started telling people I was interested in virtual world, you know, they thought they're there, you know, poor little grasshopper. 
Uh, Mark Pingus said the same thing in the early days of Facebook as he was starting Zynga. His friends went, his friend felt sorry for him. It's a game company on Facebook. You're such a loser. You kind of had a career. You've started a couple of companies. You're doing this. So I think that's a, a definition of vision. If you see something and are committing to it that everybody else thinks you deserve pity for. How do you think about money? I find it really motivating. And before I started thinking about it, you know, when I was a kid, I kind of had this hippie sense that money was dirty. And um, when I was wandering around, I found out two of my hockey teammates were going to Stanford. I said, really, what are they doing in Stanford? They're going to business school. And, oh, they sold out. And before that, one was a ski bum and the other was a hippie carpenter with hair to his waist. And I went and saw him and thought, huh, maybe this is a way to use math to make a living because I've been broke long enough. And as a commercial fisherman, I realized I got a kick out of getting a paycheck. And fishing's commission. You know, you get a piece of the action. And so when you come in with a lot of fish, you're a big wheel in town for a couple of days. So I, I just kind of enjoyed making it. Also, in my 20s, I had a couple of years. I found uh, being retired, even young, as really boring. And so I find work as kind of a personal, emotional gyroscope that kind of keeps keeps you going. And then I think money is um, it's both corrupting, but it's also going to be a fitness function. So I kind of like it as a fitness function. It's kind of a scorecard. And I like giving it. You can do good. But I do know that I did tell people I've learned in games is that, and as an employer, that money's a mixed bag. You know, money's not as motivating as uh, as some people think it is, and it can be highly demotivating. What are the uh, most proud moments of your career? It's always most fun to do stuff that your family gets caught up in. Mm. So I had one moment I liked a lot, you know, and it, it's it's kind of overcoming adversity, but the Sims, a few months before it shipped, had an internal forecast from EA at 200,000 units lifetime and zero marketing budget. And at beta, my two daughters and a friend were, who were beta testers, and they got deeply emotionally engaged. And so that, that's a proud moment. I really like the, the, uh, the creation of the launch ad for Electronic Arts. It's called Can a Computer Make You Cry? It was a good vision ad. You can just Google Can a Computer Make You Cry? And that came out of me and the lead copywriter taking long walks trying to figure out how do you create a brand in this new category of computer games. I mean, we had the notion of software as a new art form. So I like that a lot. I kind of think of, uh, of moments in games and moments with people. I'm, so I'd say um, my highlights are participating in Hall of Fame game creation, and then helping helping leaders become great leaders, especially the ones that others have given up on. I always find it fascinating the moments we're proud of. It's very unique. It's not like I made all this money one day and went, it's like the moment my daughter used our software and liked it, or I worked really hard on this thing. I, don't, I didn't know it was going to work and it did work. Do you have resources or things to help people improve as a leader? Or as a, like I, I run a company I feel like I can do a lot better. I've than got a bunch of decks that I think of as CEO curriculum. Is there a way I could see it? Some of it's online. Let's say I got one called How to Pick Your First Job. I got another one called Married to the Mob about how marketing products don't get along. Another one called Mechanisms and Mastery. That's kind of a, you know, a kit 
uh, that includes a thing I call forever OKRs, and forever OKRs are the things that uh, always separate job performance. And then as CEOs, I spend a lot of time with CEOs helping them scale. Scale challenges for a CEO are pretty predictable at company size. And I'll tell you how I write it. Forever OKRs with CEOs, number one is product market fit. Always product market fit. Number two is a, on a scale of five, a 4.25 exec team. <laughs> what is that? A 4.25 exec team on a scale of five. And uh, every time I'm with a CEO and they go, things are starting to slow down, we go through and they rate their direct reports. Five is uh, uh, world-class, four is you know overachieves in the company, three is industry average, two is below industry average. And CEOs that feel like things are slowing down tend to rate their team at 3.65 to 3.75. You know, so now then the question is, how do you get the 4.25? And that's one, five, and three forks. That's how you get the 4.25. And if you have a three, you're kind of fucked. And so the first thing is, why did you rate them that way? Um, the next thing is, if you have no, everybody on your exec team is at least a three and a half, you could tell them that's your number two goal as a CEO. And they go, oh, okay, now I'm on notice. Now I get it. And for a CEO to be a 4.25, you got to have at least a 4.25 direct report team. So the next thing I've learned is that investors, their number one job is to help CEOs scale, and most of them do a bad job. And the other thing I've found is um, that I learned in venture that I didn't expect from the outside. One is it's a 10-year commitment, so you better take big swings. And the second is the CEO is irreplaceable up until you've sustained product market fit. That's often kind of a $100 million run, right? And if you change out the CEO, you have to do two things. One, you have to refund the company for 18 months to get anybody. And then two, you lose the you lose moral authority. So when the founding CEO goes and you get a hired gun, it takes them a long time to get moral authority. So they, they have to either bribe people or, um, or try to outpower them. And... You know, moral authority from vision and founding is much stronger. So let's see. Other good one is in my twenties, I didn't do the curriculum I now would recommend. And then um, I always wonder. There was a time in life where um, I could have tried to be a CEO, or I could have left. There was a, at one point I got thrown out of the exec staff meetings because I told the CEO if he wouldn't spend more time with product development. Um, he should sell the company because he didn't deserve to be their boss. And he kicked me out of the exec team. Literally said, get out of my meeting, get out of my office. So that was a moment where I could have walked away and done something else. But I had young kids at the time, and I I kind of really wanted to make great games. You see a lot of people come through as, I mean, I don't know, not millions, but hundreds of thousands. I'm, what are you noticing between the people that you choose to invest in or you back? You said you, you look for highly motivated people. I was curious. Oh, I'd say, you, you know, you want people who are learning machines. You want you want the charisma. Without charisma and presentation skills, you can't recruit and you can't get outsized uh, support. But a single thing that, you know, separates, you know, Jeff Bezos from the founder of eBay is this, this skill at learning. A guy named Andy Jassy, now CEO of Amazon. I like to ask people, what's your go-to interview question? And he asks, what's your strategy for learning? 
And he says, if they don't have one, the interview's over. You know, if they go, oh, good question. I never thought about that. And he, he now has lost interest. Sometimes it's a, a duo, kind of two founders, which is interesting. That's Cameo, Duolingo. The team that built Madden football is that way. So you got kind of, could be kind of Batman and Robin, but you motivate each other and you don't get lonesome. What I'd like to do is see if I can make a difference. But so I'll, uh, I like the sale of three meetings for free and want to see what the slope of uh, improvement in learning is. The people learn something and figure out how to put it to use right away. What is the silliest thing you've spent money on or worst investment? My worst investment was a rain shower in a house we built because it you know, cost a little, little bit extra money. It was very foo-foo. I said, I'm never, ever going to use it. I never did. And it still sits there and reminds me how influential my wife is. Susan. But actually, the, maybe the, the better example is I once bought a Jeep Grand Wagoneer and um, I, need, I wanted an SUV for windsurfing. And this had fake wood panels on the side. So if you grew up a Beach Boys fan, you love the idea of the Woody. So it kind of looked like a Woody. And I checked Consumer Reports, which was the, the old UGC rating. And it was like two and a half stars out of five, the worst rated of all the SUVs. And I thought, can't be that bad. I really want a Woody. So I bought it. And, uh, you know, one weekend I realized this car is a piece of crap. Within a year, we came out for the house one morning of the driveway, the car was gone. Called, reported to the cops, it had been stolen. And they called back a couple hours later and said, good news, we found it. It was two blocks away, abandoned. I said, yeah, even the thieves who've just stolen this thing, they don't want it. It wasn't broken down. It hadn't, what not a gas. They just got in and went, we hate this. <laughs> yeah, so that was the worst car ever. That was the lesson again is, uh, you know, do your research, but then trust the research. What would you say the best investments or best thing you spend money on or invest? I'll tell you mine real quick. I have a Japanese toilet, like $5,000 toilet. I can't tell you how much joy this brings me. It's a game changer. I think maybe the best one is in Sun Valley that um, uh, we got a house here when our kids were young. And so they grew up as a second home and they grew up, they went to winter semester preschool here. So we built a um, uh, home with kind of layers of memories that the, the daughters who are now 30 still have deep emotional resonance. So I think that deep emotional resonance is, is pretty important. Yeah, I loved your comment on historical artifacts. That was, that was great. All right, Mr. Gordon, I'll let you uh, appreciate taking the time. Well, that is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as we did making it for you. This interview is actually from my popular YouTube video asking 80-year-old millionaires if it was worth it. You can go check it out to see the abbreviated version at youtube.com slash okdork. Also, go to appsuma.com slash noah. Save some money on that software so you can start or grow your online business. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's go play some hockey together. And before you go, slide in my DMs or tweet at me at Noah Kagan and let me know what you thought of this episode. Finally, a couple shouts to my amazing team members. Thank you to Jason at podcasttech.com for making these podcasts. It sounds so nice and clean. Thank you to Mitchell, Jeremy, George, Hubert, Cam, Sasa, Nikki, and Jen for the dork team. Y'all do so much. And finally, shout out to the Team Broadway, John Mark, Amadeus, and Jake for doing such amazing work to make our listing show up in Google better. Thanks, y'all. Love you guys. Have an exciting day. What's your favorite video game? <laughs>